welcome to the 21st Folio. On this episode, we're going to be discussing the Royal Shakespeare product, uh, Royal Shakespeare Company's production of Hamlet that was started over the summer of 2016 and was recorded recorded live and broadcast to cinemas. I'm your host, Alex Heaney. I'm the editor-in-chief of The Seventh Row, and you can find me on Twitter at bwestcineast. That's B-W-E-S-T-C-I-N-E-A-S-T-E. Hi, my name is Mary Angela, and I'm a contributor to 7th Row and 21st Folio. You can find me on Twitter at LapsedVictorian. Hi, I'm Noemi Berkowitz. I'm an actor and director living in Berlin, and you can find me on Twitter at N-O-E-M-I-O-L-A, Noemi Ola. Hi, I'm Leslie Peterson. I'm a Shakespeare scholar and professor of English at the University of North Alabama, and you can find me in Florence, Alabama. Because I don't tweet. (laughs) So, I mean, this production is notable and interesting for a whole bunch of reasons, including the fact that it's a landmark production for the RSC because it's the first time that they've actually had a black actor playing Hamlet in their entire history, which is kind of amazing. And it's also, they've set... I guess Denmark is now like set in is some is has been transported to Africa and West Africa. West Africa, yes. Uh kind of a cross between Nigeria and Ghana is the closest that I was able to Yeah, that, that that is what the like the impression I got. Although the the interview um at the beginning suggested that it was based on Ghana because that's where the actor who plays Hamlet Papa Esiedu is from. Um and they a bit they took a lot of inspiration from his life. And I believe the director actually traveled to Ghana to find out about about it in order to, to do the production. And then Wittenberg seems to be a vaguely, like, English institution. So, I mean, I wanted to, to sort of talk about this, the world of the play, um, and what, what that sort of brings and what people thought about it. Well, I think the world of the play is a world that is um, more than one world in some ways, or it's, it's a world in transition. And, and that's one of the things that makes it so interesting to me because in Hamlet, the other places that aren't Denmark are so important. There's Paris, where Laertes wants to be. There's Wittenberg, where Hamlet wants to be. There's England, where no one will notice that Hamlet is mad because there they are all as as as, as mad as he is. And Hamlet has been away from home, and then he comes back, and everything has changed. So this sense of one small part of the world that's, like it or not, so um, involved in very complicated ways with other parts of the world really works for this play. And I think it brings aspects of the play that are sometimes easy to miss to the foreground in, in ways that I thought were valuable. I'm thinking of what the director wrote in um, the program notes uh, for the production, this sense of how Hamlet has gone away to school and what a common practice that is in elite families in developing nations, for instance, or, or colonies of various empires to send their children off to the metropolis for school and and how that creates a situation where somebody like Hamlet in some ways is belongs in both places, but in other ways belongs neither in neither place. And then um, the fact that when you're away at school, things at home are changing while you're gone. And then you come home and home isn't the way it was when you, when you left. And maybe the, the high price a person pays in terms of kind of disorientation and alienation uh, for, for having been away. And, and the very complicated relationships between the two places. We have Ghana, which is, or this, this African version of Denmark that's so independent and, you know, autonomous, but everybody is speaking English. And, you know, there's, how do you deal with that sense that, uh, of 
culture and cultural authority and sure i mean i think one of the interesting things they did here is something that we've talked about in other productions is how they used accents because hamlet senior has definitely a a west african accent hamlet has pretty much you know a i guess a, a london rp pretty much accent and then you have polonius who has a british accent but it's this very very exaggerated RP accent, and then Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, they also have British accents, and so you kind of get a real sense of where people have been and where they studied and what their relationship is to both education and to the country where they are just from how they're speaking. I think my thoughts on what you guys are saying and on the world of the play are that you do have this sense of this really thought-out world where those choices with accents and costume design and set design seem like they're really thought out and mesh well with each other. I would say also that the drumming musical sort of accompaniment plays a huge element in that. And I think they did a really admirable job with it, but there is a small part of me that sort of wonders why this white director felt like to cast mostly, you know, black people in Hamlet, he needed to set it in some sort of vaguely African country. Why we don't feel that way Mm -hmm. about, you know, oh, like, I'm, I mean, Taylor Swift didn't fucking feel that way about her music video when she put only white people Mm. in Africa for Wildest Dreams. And Mm -hmm. Taylor Swift aside, we've all seen plenty of productions only with white people that just assume that's the norm, that's the basis, so we don't have to explain it. And so as much as I think they did a really nice job of it, the fact that I felt like they didn't need to do that to explain it and the fact that there was a white director... Um, although, you know, admittedly, I didn't listen to the interview with him and, and I don't know his background, sort of made me question if that needed to happen. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I mean, I, I saw a mostly black Hamlet in the Bay Area at, um, Cal Shakes. I've talked about this before. It's the one with the swimming pool that the set was basically like a empty, dilap, or empty swimming pool that was rotting basically full of trash and this was in like 2011 I think so it was and they were clearly taking inspiration from the Obamas and were definitely setting it in this in an American environment and they certainly didn't feel the need to be like well we have we're casting black people we're putting it in Africa it's like well yeah there are black people in the U.S. and there are lots of black people in the U.K. too What I think I'm hearing you say is that the production doesn't need to justify the black cast necessarily. And and I agree with that. I wonder, though, if it would be fair to say that the production isn't so much justifying the black cast as it is finding an opportunity in it. One of the ways of thinking about Hamlet, I'm not sure that I entirely read the play this way myself, but it can be read this way as in some ways um, being about a country in transition where Denmark is transitioning between a, a more medieval warrior culture to a more modern culture where education and literacy are are more important in government than your ability to hit people over the head with the big sword and that Hamlet coming back from Wittenberg you know finds himself in some ways back in this kind of medieval world so that was sort of in my mind when I was watching the production because it seemed to me that and, and this is problematic in some ways but if you are looking at a country that has some history of, of violent unrest, um, the, the, the guards with the machine guns at the beginning, and, and, and I, I got a very clear sense that you know, political stability was, was fairly fragile here. And 
to, to me, it, it just made sense that Hamlet would be, uh, would work as a way of illuminating what it was like for somebody who has, who has been, who has studied in England and has maybe seen English culture through a, a little bit of a, of a rosy lens and has, has bought a little bit too much of the British propaganda that this is a, a a nation with history and stability and continuity that that maybe Africa in its political shifting of, of boundaries and, and regimes and so on might might not seem to to have for someone like Hamlet. I, I agree with all of what you're saying, Leslie. I think it's kind of doing both things, though. I mean, one of the things that was said in the interview at the beginning of the recording was that a big part of why they said it in Ghana or, you know, vague West Africa is because the actor playing Hamlet, Papa Siedu, um, actually split his childhood between England and Ghana. And he's from Ghana, and so they were taking a lot of inspiration from his life and his experiences. So in that sense, I do agree with you that they are allowing for sort of that they're saying, okay, well, this is what we understand. And these, you know, every Hamlet is specific to the actor playing Hamlet. So it sort of makes sense to then take that and, and run with it. On the other hand, I do also feel like they are trying to justify themselves and you don't see the same kind of casual diversity casting in England. I think the way that we see it much more commonly in North America, I mean, it's still a huge problem in North America. And even just, I was I was looking back at some of the reviews that were written in, in England of the production, and there's a lot of casually racist stuff in there that they're, like, trying to praise the production, but then it ends up being casually racist. Like, in The Guardian, they were saying, um, you know, the it's a mostly black ensemble, and then the person puts in parentheses right after that, largely well-chosen. Like... As though... Mm, damning with faint praise. Well, or like as though you couldn't find good black actors to fill out a production. And that like, would they have said that if it was white? Like, oh, it's a mostly white product cast. And oh, surprise, they were able to find good actors. Which is, you know, crazy when you consider... I mean, it's crazy for a lot of reasons. But a lot of, you know, really major talented actors in Britain happen to be black. And it's, you know, Adrian Lester played Hamlet and caught, like, Idris Elba and, you know, the precedent of David Ayelowo, who played Henry VI at the RC. Like, it's not a shock that you can find talented black actors in Britain and it shouldn't be a shock that you can fill out an entire ensemble and not be misjudged. No, I, I, I agree. And, and that's not uncommon, just even just the, the language of darkness uh, just kind of creeps in. You'll find adjectives like in, in that language. Just, so they, it just kind of shows up a, a lot almost by accident in, in some of the reviews. And it's unconscious, but that doesn't mean it's uh, not real. And I mean, I guess your point makes sense that considering that Hamlet is about somebody who goes away and then comes back home, that maybe then it does make sense for them to set it in Ghana. It's just... That at the same time, it feels like they missed an opportunity to say something about what it's like to be a black man in, or a black person in, in England. Like, they're not necessarily saying something about their own country, which they could be saying, and they've got a bunch of British actors. That's true. Well, just to, to answer the question, and this is just my answer, and I, I think that others may have better ones that I'm interested in hearing, but what is this saying to the audience? One thing that it seemed to me that it was saying was that you don't have to be you know, a blonde European to experience all of the things that Hamlet experiences. I guess I liked that it was set in in West Africa for that reason, because Hamlet, the character of Hamlet, has carried so much cultural baggage. You know, he's supposed to be the greatest character of of the in the greatest play by the greatest playwright. And when I think of you know the the, the German tradition of of 
Hamlet being thinking of Goethe describing Hamlet as this super sensitive person that that to to take that the sort of the, the pinnacle of what might be considered Western European masculinity and relocate it in West Africa is to me a, a really exciting and radical move. To me, it just imported a whole lot of rather uncomfortable baggage in terms of Western assumptions about how the the play opens and you see these guys running around with like machine guns, right? Yes. And there's this instant sense of instability and it just yes. conjures up all of these like, or for me, it just conjured up all of these like awful stereotypes about, mm-hmm. oh, it's just so unstable over there, over there, over there, over there, what things are like over there. And I just felt like everyone in this cast is British. Everyone in this cast has an extremely British accent. Like, I don't understand why you're opening this play by speaking to stereotypes about otherness. Yeah, I mean, I think the other the other issue with it and is I mean, we're having trouble pinpointing exactly where it's set. I mean, we have some knowledge of the fact that it's Ghana based on what they were saying and then there are also things about it that seem vaguely Nigerian. I mean, we we know it's West Africa. But that's still a large region and a lot of people going will also not even be able to pinpoint that exactly. They'll just be like, "Oh, it's Africa." And the way that that plays into stereotypes is somewhat problematic because, you know, the cliche is you have to keep reminding Westerners that Africa is not one big country. It's actually a lot of uh, yes. a lot of countries. <laughs> and, you know, I didn't have this problem with Nicholas Heitner's production, which was set in Eastern Europe, dictatorship, vague. Like, I mean, you know, that's also a big problem that people don't necessarily know the different countries, but there isn't the same kind of... Sense of a monolith, right? Yeah, or Western ignorance. And in that case, at least, like, a lot of those places, they may be a bunch of countries now, but they were actually one country at one point, right? There was the Soviet Union, so it's it's not as, like, obviously potentially ignorant and or playing into people's ignorance. I think, though, what you're saying makes sense and it's valid and I don't want to dismiss it in any way. But I wonder if I could complicate it a little bit, though, just by... Um, going back to what uh, one of you said earlier about the different accents, um, that they're not all just being British, or or even even if they are like like Polonius, you know, it's clear that he has had to that uh, that's a learned British accent. It's 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 a learned British accent. Yes, absolutely, and. I guess for me, the the um, signs of instability were pretty clearly um, associated with colonization and that this was one, just like the learned accent, that this was one of the symptoms of, of, the, of colonial rule. So I didn't see it so much as being about those people over there as the kind of the legacy of... Um, of colonial interference, but I can understand, I can understand why, um, you wouldn't see it that way. And, uh, what did you think of the costumes in particular, comparing the costume of Hamlet senior to Claudius? Uh, can you remind me? (laughs) Yeah. So Claudius is wearing suits like western suits and you have hamlet senior as the ghost is wearing now here's my ignorance i don't know what it's called but it's some sort of traditional Mm -hmm. um african costume yes yes that was problematic (laughs) do you want to elaborate on that (laughs) (laughs) no i want to hear what noemi thinks (laughs) To be clear, I don't think the entire construct of them setting this in somewhere vaguely West African is, like, a huge problem. I just don't think it was necessary in terms of justifying having a cast that is mainly black. Mm-hmm. However, that being yeah, said, no, I agree with that. So, so 
that's just sort of my starting position. Um, when it comes to the costume design, I generally thought it was quite well done. I appreciated the fact that if they're already going with setting this somewhere vaguely West African, that they are really incorporating a lot of costume elements that you wouldn't just normally see mm-hmm. in some, you know, random white person world of Hamlet. Um, I appreciate that they are differentiating between Claudius and Hamlet Sr. Because I think it's important. I mean, as silly as that chest tattoo might be. Hamlet has a tattoo of his father's face on his chest. When he says, look on this picture and on this, he points at the tattoo on his chest. And then he compares that to a photo of Claudius on the cover of a Time-like publication. And I think it is a huge deal for Hamlet in this play that these two father figures, one his father, one his new father, are really different. It's not like this is a beloved uncle who just happened to marry his mom after his dad died. (laughs) It would be a very different play. And I think it's an astute choice to reflect that in personality and costume design. I mean, yeah, that's, I mean, that's an interesting point too, like just to compare it with the Duran production that in that one, the Claudius and Hamlet Sr. were basically indistinguishable. And you could see that Gertrude had kind of married Claudius almost because he looked like Hamlet Sr. and it was part of her grieving. And this production has clearly differentiated them. Also in accent, too, I believe. I would also say when we're, if we're just generally talking about the look of the play, I really appreciated the stylized choreographed transitions. Everything felt like it was very thought out, sort of sleek, quick, the way elements, you know, were flown in, Mm -hmm. you know, everything was sort of, Mm -hmm. was, was carefully choreographed in a way that helped the play feel like it was really moving along just super necessary for a production like Hamlet which is long and can drag which I Mm -hmm. think you thought this production did anyway Alex maybe Um, but we'll get to that (laughs) well that makes me think a little bit uh, differently about the or the the different costumes between um, the difference in the costumes between Hamlet Sr. and Claudius, because on the one hand, you could argue that it suggests a a kind of a problematic distinction that Hamlet Sr. represents an older, a more traditional African culture that's being superseded by this more modern, uh, violently westernized world that, that Claudius represents. And I mean, that's an interesting reading that the difference in costumes kind of requires us to consider. Especially since Claudius represents um, diplomacy, whereas Hamlet Sr. represents the war yes. hero. Yes. But then on the other hand, Hamlet Sr. is supposed to be in armor. <laughs> so that's not a, you know, a, it, it, I, I wouldn't have interpreted the way that Hamlet Sr. was dressed as being especially, especially military. But the other thing is that it just maybe tells us more about how Hamlet sees the two men than it does about their actual differences, because we never know for sure whether that ghost really looks like that or if he's a, um, a concretization of you know Hamlet's own subconscious. If you think of Hamlet Sr. at the ghost as Hamlet's idealization of him, it's kind of interesting that Hamlet would idealize him in like traditional dress considering that Hamlet himself has taken on a British accent and dresses in westernized clothing first appears in a suit not simply westernized clothing as in sort of what he does later on in the play which is play you know jeune artiste with his wardrobe um but he appears in like a very formal black suit well when we first see him he it's his graduation ceremony Mm, this is true did anyone else find that kind of confusing, though? Because it's yeah, uh, grad school? 
Yeah. No, that's what I was Friends. literally thinking. I was like, I guess he he wants to get his master's. I'm like, what's going on? I mean, he does sort of fit what you would expect of a grad student, right? He's like depressed. <laughs> can't 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 do anything. Paralyzed. Sexually confused. <laughs> That would be, like, a good segue into is he that depressed in this production? Because there's so much more humor, and in a lot of ways it seems more like his existential anxiety is something to be pondered rather than acted out until certain moments when it really changes. I know that's a new topic, but... um I think there's a really palpable mood shift in the monologue. Um, my, from this time forth, my thoughts be bloody or be nothing worth. And I don't really see him as that very stereotypical emo Hamlet who, like, you're like, okay, he's, like, depressed and suicidal until that moment. He's not that dark. Really? I mean, I don't know if I didn't find him dark, but he seemed, like, on the verge of tears. Super sensitive and emotional, Yes. Um, I, I, I noticed that. Sorry. No, I also did notice that he was, yeah, he, he seemed, he emoted so much more, like, basically he was crying a lot, than much more than other Hamlets that I've seen, but it didn't come across to me, like, that sort of, like, brittle, dry, sarcastic, there is nothing left for me in this world, and I'm an, and I should end it all, the way that I've seen a lot of Hamlets played. Oh, no, that's true. I'm... I agree, but I felt that his humor was was brittle, was very, very brittle, but in a different way, that he was finding the humor right on the edge of hysteria in a lot yes. of ways, and I really, really liked that. Yeah, no, I think one of the things that I really loved about the fishmonger scene is... I think it's the first time that I really thought about, like, why he says words, words, words three times. Although, I th in the recording, anyway, the, s the third words was cut off, so he only said it twice. Oh, um, that's horrible. And yeah, but but it did make me think about this, and and the way that he says, except my life, except my life, except my life, that to me that was really interesting, because the, rep the fact that he keeps repeating it seemed like that's a sign of him being on the verge of madness, that on... That, yes, he's performing madness, but the fact that he kind of like keeps repeating these things that this, especially because that it's not just him mocking Polonius, that he's kind of just on the, he himself is, is in a, a messed up mental state. And that, and that really came across to me in the way that he delivered that. Well, I'm going to show my age here and go way back to a film production of Hamlet that was very influential a few decades ago, and that's the one with Mel Gibson and Glenn Close. And one of the things that I really appreciated about what that production did to the, the tradition generally of interpretations of Hamlet is that it revisited this notion of the melancholy Dane in a way that I think is really true not only to the text but to Renaissance notions of melancholy which was more like what we would today call manic depressive than just depressive. And when when you have a Hamlet who is who, who can uh, makes room for and finds opportunities for the manic side of manic depressive, uh, I, I think it's much more exciting and much more um, much more true to the text. He was certainly volatile. Like for me, this felt like. This is going to sound like a criticism, but it isn't. Because as much as I dislike this production, I actually didn't dislike Hamlet very much. I just, like, the, the production as a whole just wasn't working for me. But he seemed like dirtbag teen, like, teenage Hamlet, right? Like, his mental age seemed about 17. Yes. <laughs> he seemed Not a lot less mature than Ophelia. Considerably. Oh, by far. Um, And he's just, like, he's clearly, like... He's one of the first Hamlets that felt full of stuff and didn't know how to deal with it, you know? Like, on the other hand, sometimes it also felt kind of one note. Because you'd be like, okay, your line delivery in this scene 
feels a lot like your line delivery from the previous scene and the previous scene. And it feels like you're stuck in the same emotional state. Yeah, I, um, I guess I don't agree because I think that he had a beautiful, fucking amazing, nuanced portrayal that had a lot of variation in it. Yes, he has his certain cadences of, of speech, and that's really clear. He sounds like he has this very specific British way of speaking that you hear in many moments, and it, and it gives different line readings than what I've heard before just because of his certain cadences, mm-hmm. which is kind of fun, but I still think that... He has a lot of nuance. Um, I think that he's like just beautiful to watch, and and I really saw his character change and try to deal with everything that he needs to deal with. Hmm. Yeah, I think one of the things that I really liked in his his um, first scene is you can feel him at least in the parts where you can see him which is a whole other issue with how that scene was shot but you can see him just bursting like he's just trying to keep the tears in and he can barely do it and I think that's one of the first times that I've seen his first soliloquy delivered where I really felt like he just needed to get it out yes that he that it was like you could see it bubbling up you know, throughout the entirety of the last scene, and then as soon as he's alone, like, it just floods out. Yeah, it felt really like he was genuinely distressed. You know, it wasn't just like he was being, like, you know, a little more than kin and less than kind and just trying to be sort of witty and biting. Mm -hmm. Like, he was super distressed. I agree. I loved the staging and everything about that, that whole scene. You're going to have to illuminate us about this because that was where I got really fed up with the recording in that scene because you couldn't see so much of the staging. You couldn't see Hamlet for 70% of the scene. Yeah. Well, and, oh, I'm so glad that um, you asked about that because I live in the sticks. So being able to see uh, the um, film production in in a theater wasn't possible for me, but... It was one of the best productions I've seen of that scene. And because of the way that Hamlet is competing for the spotlight with Claudius, he stands aside. He stands aloof. He's more of a almost an audience of the proceedings in some ways, Um, while Claudius is trying to get everybody's attention and everybody's approval. And Claudius has this big speech and that he's where he's performing, how he's got everything under control. And Hamlet is isolating and, and alienated, but just by the fact that you know that he he hangs he hangs back he's not standing close to the king and queen so the cameras can't get them both but what that does is it forces everybody in the audience to have to choose which man they're going to look at in a way that is is a is wonderful wonderful because by not even saying a word hamlet is in a lot of ways a sabotaging claudius's performance wow, yeah, so I didn't get any of that because we couldn't see him. I was just wondering how was Hamlet feeling about this and had no clue because we didn't have the option. It was basically a medium shot on Claudius and uh, Gertrude. And and that, that just breaks my heart to hear, but it makes sense because Claudius is the one who's talking, so the camera has to be on the one who's talking. But Hamlet steals the scene without saying a word. And it, it's and it's wonderful because of the tension that it creates, that you've got these two competing focuses or centers um, of attention on the stage. And Hamlet refuses to join Claudius's posse in any way. So you just don't get this coherent um, performance of power that, that Claudius has scripted so carefully. And Hamlet just just destroys it just by standing there 
anyone else find this what was interesting one of the things that was interesting about this hamlet that he was kind of cool like i've never seen hamlet be so cool with his skinny jeans and like he just he was just really cool all the times when he engaged in various dance-offs for example the player's entrance also when he first makes or it's either his first or second hit against laertes in the final scene he sort of like does this um he's like you know he's moving and um and i'm liking it this hamlet (laughs) was clearly one of the popular kids in school yes well which is interesting because i've never seen him played like that which is probably partly just a question of who's played him because um like rory kinnear is super charismatic but he's not (laughs) and then you have like ben wishaw with just kind of like a crying teenager which is a bit reductive, but that is sort of what he was doing. He did it really well. He did it really well. He was great. But he's not, you don't look at Ben Wishaw and think that's a cool kid. Yeah. You think like that's a sensitive artistic kid. That's really interesting. Yes. I hadn't thought about it in those terms, which raises all kinds of questions about Hamlet's relationship with um, Horatio, but also Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. And I'm not sure that Shakespeare intended Rosencrantz and Guildenstern to be newly met friends from school. I've always understood them as being kind of old friends that Hamlet grew up with, but it worked to have them as being, you know, his his new friends from England. But so is Horatio. But Horatio is such an outsider that I guess I always kind of thought that Horatio and Hamlet might have been outsiders together mm-hmm. hmm. I mean for me the the fact that he was cool what was interesting to me was how that played into his relationship with Laertes because Laertes is like you see him he's wearing like a Lacoste um polo that's the word thank you I think his bag um, was Longchamp oh was it oh sorry no no his bag oh yeah okay which was pretty funny um, it's also funny seeing that Laertes has all the signifiers of money, and the Polonius family get all the signifiers of money. Very true. Hmm. Yeah. I was just going to say that it was interesting to me because very rarely do you see a production of Hamlet where you actually feel like Laertes and Hamlet were friends once, and I felt like this production did that really well. Partly because Laertes also was really cool and kind of a bro, and you could see like, okay, I could see how Hamlet and Laertes would be buds. And also because in that first scene, they did actually cut to Laertes in a close-up once. And you could see Laertes just, like, really reacting to how Hamlet was feeling and watching Hamlet, like, the way that a friend would. And I thought that was really great. Well, then it goes back to what Ophelia says about Hamlet uh, in Act 3, Scene 1, when when she, I forget the exact line, but she talks about how he he was all that he was everything he was the soldier the poet the the scholar he was the expectancy and rose of the fair time everybody loved him everybody admired him and we don't always really get a hamlet who carries in him the traces of that 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 Brad Pitt kind of everybody wants the, the the masculine ideal that Ophelia at least tells us that he was and yes she she loves him so she might be biased but you do also hear Claudius saying in act four that everybody in Denmark loves him uh, loves Hamlet and that's one of the reasons why he doesn't want to throw him in jail so so there is something about Hamlet that maybe they've reclaimed in this production that hasn't always been as visible as it could have been. I mean, shirtless Hamlet, lots of shirtless Hamlet with really sculpted muscles certainly helps. Oh, yeah. That tattoo did not, I have to say. That tattoo was not an acceptable choice. (laughs) No, it's not. That is the one drawback of seeing him shirtless. Oh, it's... Oh, oh. Well, I didn't like it either, but I'm the wrong generation for tattoos. I mean, I feel like anybody who saw it, if you were like to find out that your boyfriend has a tattoo of his father on his chest, 
just a little bit weird. You're like, well, that's a choice that you made and you can't unmake no matter how much you want to. Well, you kind of can. I bet Hamlet has enough money for laser removal. Well, that's probably true. Yeah. I mean, he has enough money to just, like, become a sort of, I don't know, to just, like, tag everything in the castle and, like, become um, very, very quickly just become sort of an artist type who sort of seems to have a lot of resources at his disposal. Frankly, he seemed to be having so much fun at the beginning with his antic disposition. I was like, I want to, like, you know live in a castle and just be able to run around doing art and pretending to be crazy like that sounds hella fun with a hamlet brand t-shirt yeah oh my god and like i realized that his um his t-shirt and letters and stuff that he sent to ophelia were ridiculous but i think they were supposed to be and i thought it was kind of funny in fact i would say they were very indicative of how i felt about their relationship which is that, as I mentioned earlier, he was so much less mature than she was. She's mm. probably the most sort of selbstbewusst. Uh, now I'm only thinking in German words. The m- most sort of self-aware and self-confident Ophelia that I've seen in a while. Yes. Which was I really jarring. Yes. It was great. But it was so jarring to have her sort of in these contemporary clothes and being really, you know, poking fun at her brother when he's giving her shit about, like, being chased. And she's kind of like, okay. But then to have her still, you know, like, talk to her dad about her love life and obey him with every, and, you know, I shall obey my lord. And um, mm. that, it was almost jarring because she seemed, like, so great and on top of her shit. That in real life, I don't think she would have gone crazy and, you know, if the script hadn't said so. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. The one thing I did like, though, about that scene with her father is you get the sense that she has no expectation of him. Like, she tells him what's going on, but she, she does not expect him to have advice or answers or be useful in any way. And I kind of liked, I liked that it was, that that was how much she was undermining Polonius and Laertes, like, at every step. Like, even when Polonius is giving Laertes advice, she's making all these goofy faces at Laertes about the goofy, and she's not even trying to hide it from her father. But she seems way too self-possessed to be driven insane. Or to maybe be into Hamlet? I mean, that was also true. Like, I kept thinking, what does she see in this guy? Like, he sent her a t-shirt with a heart and love written on it. Like, this girl is way too together. I totally agree. But that being said, I do appreciate that the way they played her insanity, which always still kind of, you know, bothers me. It's like, oh yeah, crazy people sing in Shakespeare. And she did take her clothes off, as is tradition. But at least it was, it was, um, you know... Not like flowers and like beautiful singing like everyone else. The Marianne Faithful style. Oh, isn't it sad that she's crazy? Look, she's really pretty at the same time. It's the crazy hot scale. Yeah. <laughs> um, before I saw this production of Hamlet, I saw Cymbeline at the RSC. And in that, the actress who plays Ophelia plays, oh, I don't remember the name, but the, the character, the um, Imogen's sibling, spoilers, sorry, <laughs> who cuts off the head of the worst guy in the play and mounts it on a stick and is like, yeah, of course I cut off his head. Of course I'm going to admit to it. So that's sort of the picture I had of Ophelia throughout the play is I just imagine her cutting off the worst person's head and putting it on a stick. Being like, obviously. Um, and yeah, I felt like I really loved the amount of spunk that she had. So how did, does it, I'm curious, do all of you agree that her gutsy character made her madness harder to accept? It's just, she was miles ahead of Hamlet in terms of being a real adult human being who has her shit together. Oh, yes. Yeah. Especially in the world of responding to her brother saying dumb stuff about her virginity and being like sassing him back 
and it just seemed kind of unlikely that she would even be with Hamlet in the first place, let alone get so emotionally fucked up over him that she would go insane. Yeah, I mean, this is, um, I'm just wondering how people took that, like, Hamlet gets really rapey scene. It fit with his character, I thought. Because he is just so, he, he's, he's just vibrating with so much rage and tension and pain and looking for an outlet that, um, from that point of view... And he was a particularly I, anti-Gertrude Hamlet. Well... <laughs> so were all of we. No, except, except for her. two of us. <laughs> oh, <yeah>. Sorry, <laughs> two of you liked Gertrude. <laughs> she... She was just flat. <laughs> well, okay. Accepting our, our... I liked Gertrude. But the point that I was trying to make was that, like, you never saw any warmth at all between Hamlet and Gertrude, right? Like, they yes. just didn't seem very close at all, which is kind of unusual. I mean, they seemed very distant even for productions in which Hamlet and Gertrude are kind of distant. Mm-hmm. I agree. Although... I mean, I, I agree, and this was bothered me while I was watching it, but now that I'm thinking about it in the context of the other things we've discussed, it sort of makes sense as somebody who's been off at school while all this other stuff happened. Like, a lot has happened when he wasn't there, and she's gone through a lot, and it kind of makes sense that they're... But they just don't understand each other at all. Like, there's that one scene where Polonius comes in with his theory that the reason Hamlet's crazy is that Hamlet's in love with Ophelia. And Gertrude makes that face, you know, the sort of, oh, isn't that sweet face? And it's like, have you met your son? Well, and that's counter to the text again, because, you know, Gertrude's the one who gets it right, who says, I I think it is no other but the main, his father's death and our or hasty marriage. But yes, so so her reaction there just didn't seem right. But I don't think that it's necessarily a problem in terms of Hamlet's characterization. Here I am defending him again. But if he is this, so much of his anger at his mother is easily explained just in terms of his outrage on behalf of his father. But then there's a lot of lines in that scene in the closet that don't ring true unless there's a genuine affection between them, right? That's true. Yes. Did we need a bed in the closet? Well, there's always, yeah, I mean, that, it's her private room. It's not, it's, it's not her clothes closet, right? It's, uh, um, I think we needed a bed. I'm used to seeing one. Maybe I, maybe I haven't thought about it as critically as I should have. Maybe that's a good, uh, uh, an important question. I guess I'm just of the opinion, and I'm definitely influenced by Rory Kinnear, who, <laughs> who likes to complain. He's like, you know, it's a closet. It's not a bedroom. Why does everybody, now because people are really into Freud, everybody just feels like putting a bed in that scene. And so now every time I see a bed, and I mean, I've seen the bed used well, granted. I liked it in the Greg Doran version, and I liked it also in the Ben Wishaw um, Hamlet, which Emmy, I think, disagrees with. I thought it got a little incesty. There's like a, it did get a little. There's yeah, a degree she, of she incest got... that's acceptable and a degree of incest where you're like, oh, come on. I didn't find it that incesty, but... Yeah, so every time I see a bed, I'm like, oh, God, did we need a bed in this scene? Well, it doesn't have to be there for the the Oedipal reading. I think it, it, it also it is useful to have it there in terms of explaining why Hamlet would assume that it's Claudius who's hiding there rather than Polonius. I just assumed that he assumes that's Claudius because he assumes Claudius wants to spy on him. But mm-hmm. to give another reason for for putting the bed in the pro column, if oh um if Gertrude has a bed in her closet, then maybe Ophelia has a bed in her closet, which makes mm-hmm. a lot more sense in that stupid line that she has about sewing in her closet. When my lord, I've been so affrighted, which people sometimes think is a masturbation reference, which would make a lot more sense for why she's so fucking scared about Hamlet walking in on her and just kind of looking at her weird and doing stuff. Because otherwise, it's like, why would this Ophelia, who's so self-confident, be so freaked out? By Hamlet wandering into her room, yes. But kind of rambly, but 
I, uh, oh, that's a really I great like point. it if it supports the idea that Ophelia was masturbating in her closet, basically. Is that weird? I don't know. She's a modern woman. I think it's like further proof she really doesn't need Hamlet. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> I mean, why would this why would this Ophelia be sewing in her closet, please? She could just take a photo of Hamlet and then Photoshop out the 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 tattoo of his dad and then she'd have like a perfectly nice image to work with. Oh my god. This conversation got weird real fast. I think weird is fine. Is weird a problem? I do too. I I have no problem with weird. I was just going to say something really old-fashioned and boring, but not in any way hostile to weird, I hope. But just that um, it would make sense for her to be sewing because aristocratic women were supposed to embroider. You know, if if it's fine needlework and not practical needlework, that, that makes total sense. They do seem too rich for it to be practical needlework. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but being but being able to uh, think of the the Bayou Tapestry. I know that's a few hundred years before, but Mary, the Countess of Pembroke, who was a contemporary of Shakespeare's, was famous for her needlework. And this is a a, a common thing for for aristocratic women to do. But it does present a difficulty when you have modern dress productions, right? It absolutely does. Yes. Yeah. All right. Moving on from the sewing in the closet portion. Sorry. <laughs> no, I, I want to hear more about the masturbation theory. <laughs> oh, I'm sure there's stuff on the internet, although you'd want to be careful about how you go about Googling it. Especially if you're doing that from your office computer, Leslie. I was going to say, I, w- I, wouldn't use, I wouldn't use my work computer for that. <laughs> Push it. Which reminds me of another story I'll tell you another time. <laughs> I, I, I was I was proofreading a bibliography um, for a book on prostitution uh, that somebody else wrote. So yeah, another story. <laughs> As um, a woman who has played Guildenstern with a male Rosencrantz, I really appreciated. That Hamlet liked Guildenstern more than Rosencrantz. Yes! Uh, you know, it made me happy. That's all I have to say about <laughs> that, really. <laughs> I thought they did a really great job of differentiating between Rosencrantz and Guildenstern in this. They both felt like real people and completely different people. And sometimes just making one a male and one female is sort of a crutch to be like, well, now you can tell the difference, but they don't actually do anything to differentiate between them aside from that but i felt like oh you you really get a sense of guildenstern is his bud and i don't know rosencrantz is her boyfriend or something i don't know why he's there um, yeah one time he like put his arm around her waist and i was like back off <laughs> but i guess maybe he was her boyfriend that makes sense yeah and i think this is one of the few times where i actually felt badly for them when hamlet comes back and he's like oh i just killed off Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, it was one of the times where I was actually like, but they're your friends! I mean, they're kind of clueless and dorky, but like, wow, you didn't need to murder them. Oh, yes. Right, but I think because they, partly because they weren't played as as the childhood friends, you really felt like they were his friends as opposed to people that he grew up with. Like, just felt like more people who he might care about. Yes, so people he had me, chosen. it was more shocking. Yes, yeah. To me, it was more shocking that he would just killed them and didn't care. They also seemed much more like dupes than in, in this production. You know, they seemed like... They didn't seem like either accomplices of Claudius or sort of people who had any investment in the state. They were just like mm-hmm. kind of dumb college students, right? Who got caught up in something that they didn't really understand. Well, and, and also dumb tourists, and I love that. And that goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning about the the world of the play and was it necessary and how did it work. And I think Rosencrantz and Guildenstern go a certain way towards redeeming that that decision to set the play in West Africa because the director has found has found in them a wonderful opportunity to really take the piss out of the British in in their uh, confidence that they you know understand that they, that they can go to Africa and know how to behave and know what to expect and 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 they're they're just idiots. 
So, so much, so much for their superiority. And that, oh God, the scene with the gifts is just painful. Oh, yes. But see, Gertrude kills it in that scene when she gets that second thing from Rosencrantz and she's all like, ooh. (laughs) Like she has no idea how to react to this terrible gift and what she says is perfect. I just appreciate her for being sort of, she manages to be a person in terms of you see her having these moments of laughing with Claudius uh-huh. and you see that side of her, but you also see the political Gertrude, the one who manages to be haughty and come across as, you know, very well poised and queenly as she is. And I think she did well with both of those sides of Gertrude. I just think she's very imperious and I think she's a strong, flawed woman, and I think she's beautiful, and I was just happy to see her on that stage. Like, I think putting her, also putting a larger woman on stage, still, like, Uh in this really, like, desired role and as queen was really awesome, and just not something, she was not like most Gertrudes I've seen. That is true. And that's part of what I liked about her. Like, she really felt like somebody's mom, you know? She felt like people that I had met. She felt like an actor who was performing the role of somebody's mom in the performance that I saw. But maybe she just had an off night. I just felt like she was phoning it in. And I completely agree with everything you're saying about her characterization. I just, and I really wanted to be able to buy it and I just never could. Yeah, I I didn't like Gertrude. I'm not sure who to blame for that, though. Because I just feel that this production didn't really care much about Gertrude and Claudia. Which I think is a a huge, huge, huge problem. Because if you don't care about Gertrude and Claudia, you don't give Hamlet anything to play off of. It's so true. I found Claudia quite flat, actually. I was so confused by him. He had this super weird energy... Where in the beginning scene, first of all, he just punched all of his operative words, which just made me feel weird. And secondly, it was as if he was try- he was like pretty charismatic. He kind of just seemed like this like nice guy wearing a suit. I didn't get anything more from like there wasn't anything beneath the surface. There was no sense of uh, power there at all. No, there wasn't really a sense of much. I didn't know who he was supposed to be. Like, who is Claudius? I think that's a fair criticism. I had didn't have a clear sense of who he was either. There was no villain yeah. of the piece. Yeah. Maybe Fortinbras? But Fortinbras is Hamlet's idol. Sadly. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean... Hamlet has some issues with his idols. Yes, yes, he does. Tattoo. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't know that we're supposed to endorse Hamlet's uh, hierarchy of uh, of masculine role models. <laughs> not that. Um, not that Polonius is much of an alternative. Well, so what did you guys think of Polonius? I want gifts of all of his reaction shots because his face was absurd. <laughs> My favorite is when he's reading Hamlet's letter and he gets to the part about Ophelia's bosom and his eyes completely bug out yes. in horror. Yes. Like, it was ridiculous. But I'm just going to accept that he was being ridiculous because most Poloniuses are directed to be ridiculous and over the top. And I'm just going to enjoy his face and be sad that I didn't get to see more of it in times when I didn't get to see his reactions. Um, of course, that that's downside generally of the way it was recorded, is missing out on various characters' reaction shots. Um, yeah. Well, because it's not a proscenium stage, and it's just... Um... I, I, don't, I don't want to insult anybody by stating the obvious. Uh, I, I know you all know that, but that's, that's the wonderful thing about the production. That's the frustrating thing about about seeing it on film. Even if it were a proscenium stage, that wouldn't necessarily help. 
I mean, True. when I saw the recording of the Almeida Theater's um, Richard III, there were so many reactions you didn't see. There was so much you couldn't see. I spent most of it being like, but, but, they're not showing this, but, 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 they're not showing that. Hmm. So, it's just a problem with recording theater. You're right. Also, when they keep, like, her excellent white bosom, I'm like, are you tripping? Like, she's not yeah. white. <laughs> like, I'm not sure what how they thought they were just going to skate over that line, but... Yeah. Mm. I mean, she is light-skinned. So maybe maybe it's actually a meta commentary on the colorism within the black community in regards <laughs> to lighter versus maybe. darker skinned women, but I kind of I highly doubt it. Yeah, I know, I think that is too generous. Or is it just another really good example of how uh Hamlet isn't good enough for her that he's a teenager who's writing love poetry the way he thinks it's supposed to sound instead of actually writing something real and good. I kind of like that. I just like that Ophelia is way better than Hamlet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Going back to Polonius for a second, there's a a trend that we've seen in some Hamlets this year of presenting the Polonius family in opposition to Claudius and Hamlet's family. Mm-hmm. Um, uh-huh. For me, this took Polonius' family feelings too far. Like... <laughs> I actually like productions that have Polonius super dad. Like, I like seeing that closeness between them, even when it's fraught with the way they treat Ophelia. Um, But for me, what was happening on stage and what was happening in the text were too far apart. Uh Uh-huh. I think I agree with you. Can you elaborate on that? Well, what about the way that he uses her as bait? For Hamlet, did you find a hard time reconciling that with with this like silly, warm, funny man who treats his daughter sort of? Yes, yeah, that was a that that was a disjunction for me. It's very hard to see Polonius being calculating mm-hmm. when yeah. seen that, that way, way he, he interacts with, with his, his children. children. I'm not sure. I guess, and I guess this is contrary to the text because you are supposed to read it as calculating. But to me, it was just like he's kind of a bumbling idiot. Which, for me, the biggest problem with that in this production is because, to me, he was very much like an idiot. I was like, how did you get this post as an important politician if you're this idiotic? So, I mean, I feel like the idiotic thing justified why he took Ophelia and used her as bait. Like, that he just was just being dumb. Right. And Ophelia totally right. expected her dad to be yeah. dumb. I mean, that was okay for me, but the bigger problem for me is, how did you get this position if you're such an idiot? And that really only works if he's played as being someone who's senile, kind of the Ronald Reagan type, you know, who who might have yeah. been competent once and, 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 is, and is still in the position that his competence earned him, but he has long since lost the mental ability to fulfill it. Well, and even in those, it's I, often I, like, um, Oliver... Davies in the Greg Doran version he wasn't an idiot he was like an old guy who just rambled Mm -hmm. and you could see how he was tedious but that's not the same thing as as being an idiot he was obviously old and had become tedious yes Um, but I never felt that he was dumb so how do you explain his lapse in judgment if not as the behavior of someone who is just in used to treating people as pawns, even his own children. In this production, or was that a... Well, ge- no, generally speaking. Okay. Yeah, generally speaking. Now, in this production, too, did they cut this speech where Polonius tells, is it Ronaldo to slander Laertes? They kept that, and it was very strange. That's that's what I thought, and thanks for helping me remember, because I thought I had remembered that he had done it, but that's that was another place where it really jarred with his characterization. And the, the characterization that I keep comparing it to, there's sort of two. One is a production at Stratford that we saw last year, was it Alex? Uh, yeah, I think it was last year. Which was the first time that I think either of us had ever seen the Polonius family as 
performed as sort of a warm, relatively healthy family unit before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Polonius was super dad. Yeah. And there, they made cuts to the text that supported that view. Mm-hmm. And then I keep thinking about the Polonius and Kenneth Branagh's Hamlet, who is the exact opposite of super dad, and how painful that is to watch, but how that works textually. You know? Yes. Mm-hmm. That's the end of this episode of the 21st Folio. Check for new episodes discussing new Shakespeare productions every Monday and Friday. To keep up with the latest episodes, subscribe to the 21st Folio podcast on iTunes. For show notes and more information about the podcast, please visit 7th-row.com. That's S-E-V-E-N-T-H-R-O-W dot com.